Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. I had a college student come to me one time and ask me a strange spiritual question. He said, Danny, I'm wondering if you can help me. I want more power in my walk with Jesus. I'm like, oh, okay. What's, what does that mean? What's power mean? He said, well, you know, like, just think God is so powerful. I'm like, amen, okay. So, you know, God is full of power. I'm like, okay, that's right. It's like, I want that power for myself. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's how you start a cult, I think. That's not... How you walk with Jesus. He said, no, 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 I don't think you understand. He's like, I just, I want power. I want God's power. I'm like, okay, okay. God is powerful. He can give you the power to share the gospel. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about power, right? I'm picturing like Magneto or something from X-Men. Like, what do you want? And so I'm like, hey, well, let's look at the scriptures. There's power in the Bible. He's like, oh, I've read the Bible. Like, you've read the Bible. What does that even mean? He, like, grabs the Bible from me. He's like, look, 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 look. He, like, comes to me inside. It's like, the demand for a sign. Read it. The yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Read it. Peter declares Jesus is the Messiah. Read it. I'm like, listen, you're just, you're just reading the section titles from the Bible. It's like, I've read it all, Danny. I don't think you understand. I want power. How do I get the power? I honestly don't remember how I 
got out of that conversation, but I did. I'm not in it anymore. At some point, I, I stepped out of it, and he walked away. And I remember feeling a ton of different emotions as this kid walked away from me. Right there was this fear that he was going to start some kind of cult, right? There was that fear. There was this sadness, right, that he was missing something in his spiritual relationship with Jesus. There was this lament that he didn't understand the role of God's spirit in the life and empowerment of the believer or the way that the scriptures can cut to our heart and change us. There was all of those emotions. But at the same time, as this kid walked away from me, I felt this weird tinge of sympathy. Because even though he sounded like a crazy person, the desire in his heart was very similar to the desire that, that I had in my heart and a desire that I had heard expressed by a lot of different people. It wasn't about selfish power. It wasn't about mind-zapping power. But I feel like myself and a lot of people have been wrestling lately with why is it that it seems like the scriptures advocate a powerful relationship with Jesus and yet the life and experiences that we have in the world just doesn't feel like that most of the time. Well, like, I, I'm not like the guy who wants to go cast out a bunch of demons or like raise people from the dead. Like, I'm not even talking about that. I just feel like as we read the scriptures and we watch Jesus discipling these men and discipling these women as he's graining this crowd and equipping them for life, he's equipping them for a powerful, dynamic, world-changing, life-changing relationship with him where they walk by the Spirit and God changes things around them as they depend on him in prayer and as they fast and God moves. And most of the time, that's not my experience. Most of the time, I admit, I'm like this crazy person. I... I wish there was more power in the day-to-day -day relationship with Jesus that I, I have. Now, we, we've kind of been talking about that in the series, you know, that, listen, big things start with small things. Say yes to Jesus in the small things, and you'll be given the big things. And we said last week, you know, sometimes God makes us uncomfortable. Just say yes anyway, and you'll start to grow, and, and you can catalyze growth, and over time you can look back and realize, wow, like this is dynamic. Wow, so much has changed. Wow, my life is so different now than it was five years ago, ten years ago. Wow, Jesus really has grown me to a place where I have a powerful connection with him. Theoretically, that happens. But many of us walked away even from last week. And we look back at our life over the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, 50 years. And we struggle with that question. Why is it that I feel like, by and large, I'm in the same place today as I was decades ago? I still struggle with the same things. I'm still praying for the same types of experiences. I have not yet figured out how to break into this dynamic, powerful relationship with God that it seems like Jesus offers. Sometimes, you know, we just, we're prone to wander in our own, like, we forget about Jesus for seasons, for, for months, even for a day at a time. Sometimes we have our own agenda that gets in the way, right? Sometimes we're like that other guy that I met, the college kid who has a terrible theology, right, and that messes us up, right? All that's true. But when I watch these disciples walking with Jesus, I watch how Jesus is just carefully and methodically just escalating their faith and getting them to a place pretty quickly that they're able to step into powerful things with him. 
Even in this passage that Solomon just read, we sense that Jesus is trying to push Peter and push these disciples to a new level of belief in Jesus. Right? He starts with this powerful question about who Jesus is, and, and he escalates the answer, says, yes, you're on to something. Right? But then like five seconds later, he's calling Peter Satan. It's like, no, he's falling. No. And then Jesus says, come on, let's do this. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Let's do this. And it's like his same call is coming to us. Like, Jesus wants to call you into something bigger. Jesus wants to call you into something better. Jesus is trying to pull you up into a more powerful connection with him. But something in us just keeps breaking it and breaking it, and we fall back down to earth once again. This morning, I want to spend some time in this passage. This is Matthew chapter 16, from from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. And, And the question that I want us to look at this morning as we encounter this text is one of perspective. Namely, what perspective do we need, do we need to adopt to set ourselves up for long-term growth? Instead of these short-term flash-of-the-pan things, instead of just yes to Jesus today and drift back to normal tomorrow, what perspective do we need to adopt to set ourselves up for long-term, dynamic, powerful growth in our relationship with Jesus Christ? And so we'll look at that this morning as we encounter this text together. Jesus starts with a powerful question. He turns to his disciples in verse 13 and says, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do do people say that I am? I remember when I was a college pastor, I had an opportunity to go and ask that question that I was too scared. I told you last week I didn't like to talk to strangers like 10, 15 years ago, so I sent some other people out to do it. We had a a worship intern named Paul Kime. We had a, a college kid named Ryan Suzuki. I said, You guys go down into Castro Village and take a video camera and go ask strangers who they think Jesus is. And it was awesome, right? It was probably mostly awesome because I didn't have to be there, but it was awesome. Right? They go up to these people and they got all the boilerplate answers, right? Oh yeah, he's a prophet. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus very much. He's a good teacher. Oh, he's a moral example. I try to adopt his teachings in my own life. Like, okay, okay, okay. And then we got the weird answers. Right? One guy talked about Jesus being a space alien. Right? I said, oh, this is good, right? I remember this one guy, and I'm, I'm just watching it through the lens of the video camera. This one guy, he just, they ask him the question, he's like, and he had this look on his face like, easy. Like he was ready to like flex spiritually or something. He's like, all right, turn on the camera. Who do I say Jesus is? And he just looked deadpan in the camera. He said, he's the son of Christ. Walked away. I'm like, no, he's not. That's not right. That's not right. You're mixing up a couple. Of, that's not right. That's not right. I remember this. And these guys, if you know Paul or Ryan from back in the day, like these guys are not like, they're not like going out trying to like encounter people with a video camera and corner them, right? But there was this one woman that like when the camera went past her, they just saw her like, Whoa. and she's like, guys, I hope you're not looking to ask that question to me. They're like, okay, yeah, no problem. And she starts like packing up her stuff. She's like, because it's a very personal question. Like, okay, yeah. And she like walks over and like they turn the camera towards her just because they're talking to her. And she's like behind her car and she's yelling at them. She's like, I don't think you guys should be asking such personal questions to people who don't want to be asked questions to. They're like, ma'am, we didn't even ask you. Like, we respected your desire. And she was freaking out. It's a divisive question. And sometimes you get strange answers. (laughs) And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? 
And it's interesting, as the disciples start to answer his question, he says, well, some, some say, Jesus, that you're John the Baptist. Now, what does that mean? He said, hey, who do you think Pastor Larry Vold is? Like, well, some people say he's Mark Tyler. It's like, what? What does that even mean? (laughs) Some people say he's John the Baptist. Others say he's Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets, right? I, I think what they're realizing is that when people are answering the question, they're not necessarily talking about, like, who is he? What color is his hair? right? Or who is he? What does he like to do on the weekends, right? Who is he means who is his identity? Where does he fit within the salvation history of God's people? And so they say, well, there's a mixed message going on out there. Some people think Jesus is a prophet, like the Old Testament prophets, and he fits into that camp. Other people say he's like Jeremiah, right? That somehow he fulfills the spirit or the power or the prophecy of Jeremiah. Other people say he's Elijah, who was, res- who was raptured into heaven, and now he's back in this new way. Some people say he's John the Baptist. He died, he rose again. He's a John the Baptist character, right? All of these different opinions about the function of Jesus in the history of the world. As you look at the answers that the disciples give, and as you start to think about the answers that people in, in our culture give, you realize that the answer to the question, who do you say that Jesus is, is actually a really important answer. Right? Like if you believe that Jesus is a, just a good guy, right, that's cool, but it's probably not going to intersect with your life very much, right? right? There's other good people in the world, right? but it hasn't transformed anything about your existence. Right? If you say, oh, Jesus is a prophet, Right? You would probably treat Jesus like you treat Elijah or Moses or any other Old Testament figure. It doesn't really affect your life that much other than you, you believe they existed and God spoke through them. Right? If you think Jesus is a good moral teacher, that probably means that you're going to try to be a good person like he said you should be. If you thought he was an example, you're going to somehow try to follow his example. If you have a small view, a wrong view, a crazy view, a weird view, a nuanced view a microscopic view of Jesus, whatever you believe about him, is going to affect your life. And as I think through the list uh, that the disciples gave to Jesus, and I think of the list of answers that you might get if you brought a camcorder out into (laughs) San Lorenzo or San Leandro or Hayward or Castro Valley, I think we'll start to notice a correlation that people who have a low view of Jesus don't have a high effect of Jesus in their lives. Which means that for you, if you don't experience a lot of spiritual vitality, there's a chance that one of the reasons your spiritual vitality is low, the powerful relationship with Jesus is lacking, is because you have a low view of Jesus. If you put Jesus in the same camp as Gandhi, Jesus is going to affect your life as much as Gandhi does, which is probably... Not very much on a day-to-day basis. And so Jesus goes around and says, well, what do people say? What do people say? What do people say? Just to get to his real question, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who speaks up, who is zealous, passionate, gives a crystallized, powerful, clear, orthodox view of Jesus. He answers the question in verse 16 by saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
This is a a way that Peter kind of sums up everything about Jesus in as few words as possible. Jesus, you are not just a part of God's salvation history, Peter says. You are the person that everything has been leading up to. You're not one of the prophets. You are the one the prophets spoke of. You are not someone who was part of God's work. You are the fulfillment of God's work. You are the one we are waiting for and have been waiting for and have been told about and have been longing for. For thousands of years, you are him. There's no one who's coming after you. Everyone led up to you. You are the Messiah, and you are not just a man. Peter says, you're the son, not of the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Is the God who has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, since eternity past, and who will exist until eternity future. You are the eternally begotten Son of that Trinitarian existence. That's you. A bold, true, high view of Jesus. Normally when Peter says things that are bold, Jesus cuts them down real quick. But this time when Peter says who Jesus is, Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's like Jesus says, yes, that's it. Now, I feel like theologians, I know that theologians have argued for thousands of years. Of like, Is Jesus talking about the statement of Peter or Peter himself? What's Jesus so excited about here? Is this like a Pope thing? What's happening, right? And yet when we look at the New Testament, it doesn't seem that complicated. We see that the church was built on the apostles and the prophets. That's what Paul says later. He says Jesus is the cornerstone of his church, and yet the foundation of the church were men like Peter and men like John and the prophets who came before who laid down this foundation. And when Peter calls out the name of Jesus to Jesus, Jesus says that orthodoxy, that right belief, that high belief, that true belief about me is the foundational piece that my church will be built on, and nothing will stop it. Yes! I think what this can say to us when we're looking about getting a yes from Jesus is that the starting point for significant spiritual growth is a right and high belief in the identity of Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. The starting point for significant spiritual truth is a growth is the right and high belief in the identity of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. There's a chance that one of the reasons that you are not spiritually vital in your life is you have a low view of Jesus. And next week we'll talk about how to escalate our view of Jesus and elevate our view of Jesus and extol the name of Jesus as we talk about the Mount of Transfiguration in the next chapter. I think this truth is the reason why authors like A.W. Tozer say that the most important thing about us is what comes into our minds when we think about God. It's not just the important thing you do, not just a really important facet of your The most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. Your theology matters. Your orthodoxy matters. Having a right view of the person and work and identity of Jesus matters. 
It seems like we could take this and say, okay, that's the secret. That's the key, right? We can't just say yes to Jesus. We have to say yes to the real Jesus. So if we just know the real Jesus and say yes to him all the time, then it'll finally solve all my problems and I'll be an amazing spiritual giant. Yes! But hold your horses. Because no sooner than do these words come out of Peter's mouth than he's putting his foot back in his mouth again. Right? Peter, in just a, a few verses, goes from you are Peter to get behind me Satan. Right? From on this rock I will build my church to you are a stumbling block to me. There's something still broken in Peter. He believes in the real Jesus. He has a high view of Jesus. He loves Jesus. But something in him keeps weighing him down and messing him up. We actually see that, that something significant happens in this passage. This is the first time I've ever seen that, that Peter actually says no to Jesus. He says that right after Jesus says, Peter, you're amazing. This is true. Yes. And Jesus starts to explain, okay, now here's the game plan. You guys are locked in. Here we go. I'm going to die, right? I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised again. Don't worry, right? And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? And it actually says here in Matthew that Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke Jesus. Right? Like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, come here, come here, come here. Hey, you and I are kind of a team. This is not what he really said. You and I are kind of a team here now, right? Like you said you're going to build your church on me, and so I have a stake in your future, and, and I love you. You're the best. You heard me say that. You get that, right? But Jesus, you're talking crazy now. You say you're going to die? That's not how this goes, right? You're going to be the king. You're going to reign. You're going to be on your throne, right? And, and we're all in it to help you get there. We're not going to let anyone touch you, right? We can make a wall or like that 300 thing, right? We can do that. We'll stop the enemy. This is not going to happen to you. We got you. We got your back. Jesus says, well, you're the devil. You're the devil. <laughs> and he calls Peter out for trying to help. Now, we can look at this with, like, the 2020 hindsight thing. And we realize that, that Peter's problem was not that he was zealous. Peter's problem was not that he was passionate, not that he wasn't courageous. Peter's problem was that he had a skewed view of the mission of Jesus. Now, he loved Jesus. He believed in a big, real Jesus. But when he imagined the, the work of Jesus, he had something different in his mind than existed in Jesus' mind, which is a huge deal. Now, I meet with people all the time who come to me because they're wrestling with big decisions they need to make in their life, that as I listen to their wrestling, I realize that what they're wrestling with is not a hard wrestling match. Right? They're saying, Danny, I, I just know what to do, right? I feel like everyone's telling me to do this, but I really feel like I, I'm, I'm being called by God to do this, right? And this is a heinous sin. This really happens a lot. This is a heinous sin. They don't say that, I think that. This is a heinous sin. Like, yeah, so I, I feel like, do I listen to what people tell me? I just, I'm not feeling it, right? Or do I do what feels right to me? And I prayed about it, and God has given me a peace about pursuing this heinous sin. I'm just torn. I don't usually call them Satan. I feel like Jesus does that. 
what, what I try to explain to them is that this is not a hard decision, right? Because this is terrible what you want to do. This is good what God tells you to do and everyone's telling you to do and they're all right and you're wrong. But they come back and say, I just don't know what to do. I've been praying about this and God gave me a peace about doing this heinous sin. It's like they want to follow Jesus in some way but their own like, view of the way they think the world is supposed to work has absolutely blinded them to a clear and simple path that God has laid out for them. I, I tell them, you say you have peace about this heinous sin. That's not peace, right? The Bible says your conscience has been seared like it's a hot iron. You can't feel anymore because this is such a terrible thing you want to do. I think a lot of times we forget how powerful our own worldview can be in blinding us from the will of God. As I look at this text and I think about Peter and I think of the history of the world and I think about the history of my own life, I realize that, that no matter how high your theology is, a godly theology with a human agenda is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. Right? There are things you want to do in your life. And all of your Christian friends say, don't do that. That's crazy. You're like, I just feel like God's laying it on my heart. And they're like, listen, he's not. But your agenda that you want to do with all your might has absolutely blinded you, clouded your judgment. And I'm telling you this right now, and you're not hearing it. Because a Christian theology, even a godly one, plus a human agenda is a it's a recipe for disaster. And yet so often that's how we live. We've been trying to say yes to Jesus. And we get up in the morning, we say, Jesus, I'm thinking about my day. I'm stressed. I'm looking at my calendar. There's so much going on. And I, I don't know how I'm going to take care of it all. And I just, I just want to say yes to you. I, I invite you in. It's like, I'm going to drive on these errands. Please come with me. I'm not going to make it if you're not here, right? And, and that's an amazing, admirable way to look at life. But at the same time, I feel like Jesus could be saying, hey, you know what? Here's an alternate idea. I've got something I want to do. Why don't you come with me, right? Isn't that how this works? You don't invite me to be the co-pilot in your car, right? I'm going to allow you to come with me on my journey. Drop your calendar. Drop your agenda. Drop your worldview. Don't invite me into that I'm inviting you into what I'm doing. I win here. That's why Jesus continues in this passage and says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You know, on one hand, this is a call to suffering. And Peter picks up on that. Read 1 Peter. He's like transformed by the time he writes 1 Peter in this area. Paul talks about arming, or Peter talks about arming ourselves with suffering. Paul talks about suffering in the body and filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Like suffering is a big deal. But I don't think that Jesus is primarily talking about suffering when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. I think what Jesus is doing is just picking up where he left off. Right? It's like, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to race to life. And Peter's like, Jesus, come in. Sidebar, sidebar. He's like, get behind me, Satan. Doesn't kick him. Then he comes back and he's like, all right. Like I was saying, I'm going to die. So if, 
if you want to walk with me, that's where I'm going, right? And so I'm going to pick up a cross. You're welcome to pick up one too. Let's go. Let's go, right? He's continuing the process. He's saying, your job is not to protect me from bad things out there. Your job is to come with me. I'm in charge. You follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross because I'm picking up mine and let's go. That's the call Jesus gives to his people. Follow after me. And the primary truth that Jesus is trying to push his disciples through in Matthew 16 is that if you want to experience spiritual transformation, you need a high view of Jesus, yes, and you also need a low view of yourself. I don't mean you lack self-esteem. I don't mean you don't understand the dignity of humanity. I don't mean any of that. What I mean is that if you're going to be a Christian, eradicate all the plans that you've created for your life because they don't matter anymore and follow him instead. We didn't talk about this two weeks ago, but when Peter go, Jesus goes to Peter and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, Peter doesn't say, well, hold on, let me just finish the fishing season first. Right? He doesn't even say, let me clean up my nets and put them in a box first. He just drops them and goes. It's like everything he's been working for just goes out the door. His security, his business, his family, all that, he just walks away. Because in the moment Jesus called him, he got it. If you want to be my disciple... Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus says, because if anyone wants to save their life, if you want to retain your way of living, you're going to lose your life. If, if you're going to work hard to just live the life you want, great. You're going to go to hell. That's, that's how it works, right? Work real hard, love your life, and then suffer eternally. Great. That's what you can do, right? If you want to win eternity... If you want your soul to be saved, if you want your very life to be saved, the way to save your own life is to let it go. Give it up. Forsake yourself and say, Jesus, do whatever you want with my life, and he will give you abundant life. He'll give you beautiful life. He'll give you a mission life. He'll give you a powerful life, and he will give you a new life as you walk away from your old one. As we look at this passage, here's a few things that you can start to wrestle with this week. This is one of those sermons that Makes sense later. Number one, I just say that because it doesn't make sense now. Number one, lean into a true and high view of Jesus. That's where it starts. Right? Peter had gotten to a place that he gets it. He understands who Jesus is. He understands the power of the identity of Jesus. He's ready for this hard truth that Jesus is giving him. Lean into that. Keep your view of Jesus high. That's what we'll talk about next week as we talk about worship and the transfiguration of Jesus. Number two, know that your personal agenda will always try to take over. Every day, in every conversation, in every minute, in every season, what you want will try to beat out what God wants in the life he has called you to live. That's why some of the other gospel writers, when they talk about Jesus calling them to pick up their cross, they say, daily pick up your cross and follow Jesus, because every day, our own agenda just kind of creeps back in and we've got to machete it back out of our lives again. Know that that's going to happen. Number three, constantly let go of any and every plan you have for your life. God knows the plans he has for you. You don't. God wants to prosper you. You want to make dumb decisions that are going to destroy your life sometimes. God doesn't want to harm you. Sometimes you want to harm yourself. God has a hope and a future for you. You have no idea what the future will hold. Let go of everything you want to do. And come to the Lord and say, what are you calling me to do? Today, 
in this conversation, in this afternoon, in this minute, what does it mean for me to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow you? Finally, this is the easy one. When Jesus says, follow me, go. Open your mouth. Move your feet. Lift up your hands. Do the thing he's called you to do. But if you want to experience real transformation in your walk with Jesus, it's not just adding Jesus into the life that you've planned for yourself. It's shredding the life you've planned for yourself, the agendas, the plans, the vision, and coming to him and saying, every day, help me to hold my plans loosely and let me do what you've called me to do, even if it's hard, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if everything that everyone in wisdom is telling me sounds crazy to me and they say my plans are sin, I'm going to trust them because my agenda must be blinding me. Now, I don't know any powerful Christians who can like magneto electrocute people with their hands. Right? I don't think that's what God calls us to do. I know, I know a lot of Christians who are powerfully used by God though. And most of us, I think about it, the powerful Christians that I know, they're... They're not names that you would recognize. They're not people on TV. They're not people with a lot of money most of the time or a lot of fame or a lot of anything in this world, really. The most powerful people I know are the people who are in the prayer room, the people who are on their knees next to their bed, the people who are serving humbly behind the scenes, the people who are helping others in need, the people who are just let go of their own plans for their life and they just humbly submit to Jesus' plans And when great and powerful things happen through them, they get zero credit for it because that was their goal. And so don't find some role model you want to copy unless that role model is Jesus. And then let go of the plans you have for your own life. Realize that he is infinitely above you. Thank him that he graciously invites you into his mission and humbly serve him and trust that he brings the results that he desires to bring through you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond in worship.